Father, what a privilege it is to hear of young men who've had a touch of God in their life and are longing to serve you and move ahead with power and passion in their life, Lord. And we we just thank you for that, Lord God. And Father, we want to be a people that right across the generations are passionate about the things of God. Lord, we don't want to be religious. We don't want to be ticking boxes to do the right things just to, to keep ourselves happy. We want to be fervently after the things of God. We want to be a people that are driven by a desire to see other lives changed and to see a revival in this nation, oh God, because we are such a blessed people and yet we're robbed by the prosperity that we have and the busyness that we have. It robs us of really putting the most important thing first and foremost. And so, Lord, there is no other God like you. And Lord, there should be no other God any higher in our life than you are, Lord Jesus. So this morning, Lord, as we open up your word, as we look at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, would you help us, Lord, to truly fulfill that mandate that you had for us to go into all the world and make disciples, make followers of Jesus, make people that are truly passionately in love with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and who live out of a place of knowing who they are in God that they are sons and daughters of the Most High, that you have qualified them, that you have called them, that you have anointed them and empowered them not just to live, but to live an abundant life, a life that is full of excitement and adventure, full of opportunity to change this world. And so, Lord, we are excited about who you are and what you're doing and all the more that you want to do in our lives. So, Father, we just bless you this morning and thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been doing a series called The Other Side of Normal. In other words, if you're a Christian, if you are spirit-filled, if you really know the Lord, then your life should not be mundane. It should not be boring. It should be radical. And you should be living in such a way that people that are living for themselves look at you and go, I can't figure it out. You love when you should really hate. You give when you should really be selfish. Everything about our lives should be the opposite of the world's. When the world is materialistic, we shouldn't be. When the world is selfish, we should be selfless. And so this kingdom of God that Jesus came to install in our lifetime is radical. And if we truly understand the kingdom of God and it's worked out in our lives, then we should be radical. We should be different to this world. We should be running against the tide. And we've been looking at this series for a number of weeks. And what we've really been doing is really asking ourselves, well, what does the kingdom of God look like in Mark Wilson's life in 2014? And what does it look like in Joel's life? And what does it look like in Val's life? Are we really kingdom minded? Are we really kingdom empowered? Or are we just, you know, we just sort of running through the motions of following God? And I believe that God wants us to be a people with incredible zeal in our life. It's so easy to cruise through the Christian life. It's so easy just to do, you know, what is necessary to tick the boxes. But that's not, a, that's not an existence in God. He wants us to be on the cutting edge. He wants us to really be sold out for Him. And He won't relent until we're fired up for Him and our lives are in order and our priorities are right and we're in the space that God's created for us, fulfilling the the destiny that God has for us. Until we're in that place, 
We're never going to be satisfied. We're never going to be fulfilled. We'll always be chasing you know, something that's not going to satisfy. And the Scriptures say, why, why do you buy food? Why do you go after things that don't satisfy when God has given us everything that we need for this life? That's the choice we all face in our walk with God. That's the choice our nation is facing right at the moment. Are we going to be a self, you know, self-centred, self-reliant nation that's all about us? Or are we going to get on our knees and actually say there's a higher purpose in life? There's a God over this nation who wants the best for us as a people. And we need to rise up as the church and take up that prophetic mantle that we have and call our nation into righteousness and call people into walking in the truth of God. That's, that's the, the challenge for us. And I've been thinking this week as, as we, I got Sam and Matthew's school report and I was looking down and thinking, yeah, they're doing pretty good. I thought to myself, I wonder what sort of a report card the church would get. Like if Jesus sat down and said, hmm, Catalyst Church, what shall I say? Or the next church down the road or whatever. How do you think the church is doing? Would you give us an A? A B? Anybody for a B? A C? A, a low C? A D? An, an E? D's a pass. What about an F for fail? 3% of our nation go to church. 3%. And of that 3%, probably 1.5% are spirit-filled, Bible-believing, Holy Spirit-filled, God-preaching Christians. So it's an F for fail. Big time. We are failing as a nation in the sense of being godly, and we are failing as the church. And I want to explore a little bit about that this morning. Now, it's very easy to be critical, isn't it? and just bag and criticise, but it's not really what I want to do this morning. I sort of want to explore why is it that we're failing? Not in a critical way, but in an exploratory way. Why, why are we failing? And I think it comes down to discipleship. Because this was the commission that Jesus gave us as our King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he was given all authority on, in heaven and on earth, he then said, go into all the world. Therefore, the therefore is because of who he is go into all the nations of the world, baptising them like we're going to do today in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. So Jesus told us to go and make disciples. He didn't say go and plant churches. He didn't say go and build buildings. He didn't say go and run programs. He said make disciples. So it's probably a good question to ask, well, what is a disciple of Jesus Christ? And I want you to help me put together this morning a picture of what a disciple is. Can you tell me what a disciple does? Give me some hints. Give me some thoughts. What, is it, what, what do you have to do to be a disciple? If it's the most fundamental question of Christianity, we should have a good answer, I think. Because we're all disciples, but are we the right sort of disciples? So I reckon if we did a survey, you'd go to me, a disciple is someone who reads their Bible, who prays, who goes to church, who tithes, who probably goes to the prayer meeting. And we would probably end up with a list that is primarily about things we do. Do this and you're a disciple. Do this. Now, that's not inherently wrong because a disciple is someone who is disciplined. We do do things. 
But I think we've made a mistake in our theology in the Western church is that we are so much about what we do for God rather than who we already are in God. I'm not saying we, we stop doing things. I'm not saying stop reading your Bible. I'm not saying stop praying. But I'm saying so much of that we do to get a relationship with God. Or we think that if we do those things, we'll get a better relationship with God. And I think that's flawed theology. And I want to explain to you why this morning. I think a lot of people ask the question in terms of discipleship, what must I do to stay true to the Christian faith and go to heaven? That's really the premise of their life. What have I got to do right so that, so that God's happy with me and I can get to heaven? Now, that's not wrong. It's not wrong thinking, but it's not a fullness of the thinking that we should really have because really our lives are defined by our failures then and by the things that we haven't done. And there's an overemphasis on sin. Now, I'm not belittling sin. I'm saying if my relationship with God is all defined out of the failures that I have or the things that I haven't done, then I'm not in a good place with God. I'm then trying to work my way into relationship with the Lord. And so often I hear people's identity is that they're a sinner saved by grace. And we are sinners saved by grace, but that's past tense. I'm not a sinner saved by grace anymore. I'm a saint. And it's a fine line between those two things. I don't want to undersell sin, but I also don't want people walking around going, I'm a failure. I haven't met God's standard. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy enough. I have to work harder. I have to do more things. I want, I want to, where do I sign up for to do the next thing, the next thing, the next thing? And so if I just behave right, I'll get to heaven and God will be happy with me. I think if we could capture Christianity in our nation, so many people think that way. And I think what's happened in the last 10 to 15 years, maybe from the start of Hillsong forward, there's began to be a change in, in the premise of who we are in Christ. And it's a good thing because I don't want to chuck that out. I think that's highly necessary. But if that's all you have in terms of your definition of a disciple, you're going to end up as a works-oriented Christian. And we shouldn't be that way. So disciples who think like that go, well, God loves me when I'm doing the right thing. And if I could just do more of the right thing, God would love me more. And I think what we've done is we've, instead of asking how does God live, we've been asking God, what is God like? And he's holy and he's righteous and he's pure. And those things are so true. But God's a God of relationship. And if we separate who God is from relationship, we're in trouble. Because no matter how hard any of us work to serve God, you know, we could sell every possession today, head off into India, become Mother Teresa, but God's not going to love you any more than he does right now. And so we've got to come back to understanding who we are in God. And I think a performance-based view of God's love for us is very much shaped by our culture. The moment you go into school, you get a school report. And the class is all tiered between who's the smartest and who's the dumbest. And you go to sports day, what happens? The person who's the fastest runner wins and he gets all the accolades. And the person like me who's hopeless across country, you know, drags the chain and comes last. And then the school rewards the one that came first and we make a fuss about him and the poor old bunnies that can't run or aren't academic or aren't very good feel left out because there's a sliding scale of performance. You go to work, what's it all about? Who performs the best? 
Now that's not wrong, but if it's all we are as a disciple, then we're in trouble. We are really in trouble. And I think we've shaped a contractual relationship with God instead of a covenant relationship with God. It's a contract. Well, if I do this, then God will do this. If I work this hard, God will bless me more. And, and it's, it's subtle. It's very subtle, but it's very real in the life of our church. So I think the question we should be asking as a disciple is, what must I believe, not, must, what, not what I do, but what do I believe for heaven to invade earth through me? See the difference? If it's all about the exit strategy of getting to heaven, just doing the right thing so I can get out, I just want to get out, then we don't take advantage of what God wants us to do now. And as disciples, we're to go into the world and change the world. And we're to take the presence and the power of God in us into those desperate situations that we know are all around us and make a difference. We are the catalyst. That's why God planted that name on my heart. Because I want us to be a catalyst that everywhere we go, we are the factor that change things. Because we are disciples of the Most High God, not cowering under our, our, the weight of sin and our, our, our lack of being worthy before God, but understanding that, in, that the righteousness of Christ has made us worthy. And we are qualified to stand before God. So I think if we ask that question, what must I believe for heaven to invade earth through me? There's going to be a shift in the way that we do church. And you can see a shift in the Pentecostal and the charismatic churches that they are trying to empower people to feel better about themselves so that they will serve out of a place of relationship, not out of a place of feeling like they have to please God. Does that make sense? We're not a works-oriented church and we shouldn't be. We should be a relationship-oriented so the focus should be on the overwhelming vision of the Godhead who reached out to us to share their life and glory with us. So Christ in me, the hope of glory, that God wants to dwell in us, not just come and visit us on a Sunday morning for an hour. He wants to habitate in us, wants to set up his residence in our life. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the forgiveness that we get ushers us into that life of God. It's actually the very secret of our existence. That's why Jesus came. That's why he died and rose again and sent his spirit so that he could manifest himself within you and I so that we are divine beings. We partake in the Godhead. Why? Because we are to be a race of Jesus Christ. The same things Jesus did, we are to do. But if I don't feel worthy, if I feel I have to earn my way to God, I'll never stand in that place of knowing who I truly am in God. And that's what we need to do. So Jesus himself is the point of eternal significance as he became a human so that he could mediate his divine life to us. And the emphasis is upon adoption, not upon works, but upon the fact that God adopted me and he adopted you where forgiveness serves a much higher goal, that is that we are included in the life of the Trinity. Now, most of you know that we have an adopted son. Now, does Matthew get my love because he does the right things? Not a hope, because <laughs> he never does the right thing. <laughs> That's not true. 
but he's, an, he's a nine-year-old boy who's still learning what is right and wrong. So he makes lots of mistakes. So if I was to make the, the scale or the measuring yard, whether or not he did the wrong or right things, he'd fail. Just like when God looks at our lives and he says, no, nope, sorry, Cheryl, you mucked it up again. You mucked it too, Cheryl. You mucked it up, Mark. So if that's the basis of our identity as disciples, we're going to get into a works program. And so many Christians are, you know, are smothered by works and we shouldn't be. Our identity is that we are sons of God and we are bringing heaven's reality into the here and now. I'm not waiting till I get to 95 and say, thank you, Lord, take me home. I've got 50 years between now and then. I want to make a difference. I honestly do. I want to see more Johns and more Troys come out of darkness and into light. But if I'm just trying to work my way to God, it's all about me. I'm not truly a servant and I won't have compassion for others because my focus is all centred back on me. And am I doing the right thing? And I, 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 we've got to turn that around. So a real disciple is someone who is all about relationship and their value as a person, their significance as a person is defined by the relationship that they have with God. The scripture says his divine power, God's power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So we don't have an excuse. God's divine power has given to every one of us the necessary things that we need to live a divine life and to make a difference in this world. We've got it. We've been given it. It's just a question of whether we're taking it up and using it in our lives. So I live in the Godhead. I am part of the Godhead. I'm not earning my way to get that. I've already got it. Jesus lives in me, Christ in me, the hope of glory by the power of his spirit residing in me. I'm not seeking to earn that. It's my possession. It's my inheritance as a son of God. I love this passage out of Colossians. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you. Has Past tense, you don't have to get it again. You are qualified to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. I think there's so many Christians still trying to get themselves justified before God, qualified before God. Justification is a one-time event that Jesus did for you when you gave your life to him. He justified you. It's done. You don't have to get back there and try and get justified again. You've qualified. If you've given your heart and life to the Lord, you are qualified to serve the King of Kings. You are a son of God. You've been sealed with the spirit that says you are marked as God's possession. You were bought with a price. And that price was not to get on a treadmill and try and earn God's favour. You have got it. You have got it. And if we could just live in that favour, our whole mindset about who we are and what we do would change. We would be much more empowered. So I have to have this belief that I am commissioned to be like Jesus on earth. I've got to have that instilled into me or I'm not going to make a difference. I truly have to believe that God has anointed me and has appointed me to take good news into this world. And wherever the enemy has an encampment, wherever Satan and his forces and his cohorts have set themselves up, I have power and authority to live in victory over that. In fact, I have power and authority to tear that stronghold down. 
whether that be in someone's life, whether that be over a region, whatever it is, we are powerful people. So if we think like that, then I think about covenant relationship, not contractual relationship. Contractual relationship with God is Old Testament. Covenant relationship with God is much more New Testament. So I am somebody and I am something. Therefore, I do these things out of obedience to God. I don't do these things and I don't follow a book of rules so that I get relationship with God. See the fine difference? And I think we've taught our children, if you could just do this, then God will love you more. It's subtle, but it undermines justification. And really, we need to get back to believing the right things about who we are. So I I believe if the church is going to be successful, we have to re-engineer how we define discipleship in this nation. And that's going to mean we have to deconstruct the erroneous ways that we see ourselves. We've got to undo the things that have done wrong, been done wrong, taught wrong, instilled wrong. We've got to deconstruct a performance mentality and reconstruct a conquering saint's mindset. Okay, I'm not saying that we're not sinners saved by grace. We are, but that's been done. God has done that transaction with us and we keep short accounts with God now and we don't have this baggage of sin that we drag away. We're now saints. And in my sainthood, you know, the Catholics got that right, except they only give some people sainthoods. We are all saints in the kingdom of God. And once you recognise, it's not pride because you know you didn't earn that. God did it for you. He was the mediator between God and man, Jesus. And he gave his life in our place so that I could be a saint. And therefore, in my sainthood, I have this right and privilege and obligation and opportunity to serve the King of Kings. That's got to be the mindset. But we've got to re-engineer by deconstructing and then you rebuild And I hope you realise that over the past two and a half years, that's what I've been trying to do in this church. doesn't mean we water down theology. It doesn't mean we lessen sin. It doesn't mean we take the word of God and make that any less. That's not what I'm saying. It's prominent and should be really important. But we do that because of who we are, not to get to who we are. We're already that person. So what's a disciple? Here's a really simple way of describing what a disciple is. I believe a good disciple of Jesus Christ who's someone who is self-governing. What I mean by that is that they are very personally aware of where they are in God. So they have a right understanding of who they are, a healthy understanding of who they are. And so they're not trying to get, um, they're not trying to work their way to God and they're not trying to get people's favour that they're self-aware, that they have value in God and it's out of that value and significance that they operate, not trying to get value and significance. Oh, if I could just get up the front and preach, people would think I'm a great communicator and they'd love me more. But that's a doing. We are human beings. And I think it's the being we need to emphasise more than the doing. You know, God prepared good works for us to do before the foundation of the world. So we're going to do, but we do because of who we are. And we've got to come back to that. So a good disciple is someone who's personally aware. They know if there's sin in their life to deal with it. They know if there's a problem in their life to go and get help. 
They don't blame other people for the mess that they've got themselves into or they don't blame other people because they don't feel fulfilled or valued or whatever. They get into right relationship with God. They get their lives in order so therefore they can keep their life self-governing. They can discipline their own lives. They're not so weighed down with their own baggage that they can't help others. Or if they do help others, their strings attached. You know, I'll come and help you move house, Mark, but I'm really hoping that when my turn comes, you'll come and help me. You get it? That's subtle, but it's in the Christian faith. And it doesn't make us good servants because their strings attach. And I think if we're self-governing, then we don't need to be propped up all the time. You know what I mean? We don't have to go back to church next Sunday for that next message. We know how to feed ourselves. We know how to get into intimacy with God. We know how to worship. It's not about whether John's guitar's in tune or, you know, we know how to discipline our lives to be self-governed, to be intimate with God. And therefore, I'm not a needy person. My needs are met by God and I'm looking to Him to fulfil me and sustain me and grow me and mature me. And it's a, it's a one-on-one with Him with a little bit of help from my friends. You know, I get by with a little help from my friends. We need community. But we don't need a community of people that are all flat out on the ground where their lives are a mess. When a good disciple is someone who has a great identity in God and is a servant and is serving and serving and giving their lives away. I think another thing about being a disciple of Christ is that we are innately powerful. What I mean by that is that, that there is a power that resides within us. God has given us the capacity to choose how to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Let me give you an example. You got your Optus bill and there's an error on your Optus bill. So you dread that number, 1-800, blah, 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 and you ring and it rings and the man in India answers. How can I help you, sir? And you go on your spiel for half an hour trying to explain that your bill's not right. And he gets to the end of the conversation and he just says, well, sorry, I've got to pass you to my supervisor. So you know you've got to explain the whole story all over again to the next guy. That's what I mean by innately powerful. You can slam down the phone every obscene abuse that you want or you can choose innately as a disciple of Christ to take up the fruit of the Spirit and have self-control and be gentle and be loving. That's the choice we have. As disciples, we choose to live the opposite way to the world and we treat people with dignity and respect and we don't feed our flesh, we live in the spirit. That's someone who's innately powerful. When you squeeze them, when you pressure them, when you put them in difficult situations, what comes out? God's fruit. Why? Because they've understood who they are in God. Their identity is in him. And the last thing I think that's really important is that we're inherently supernatural. Just by nature, we are supernatural beings. But we don't quite grasp that, I don't think. I still think that's a struggle that we have in the church, that we have a pyramid structure where those that are, you know, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are the ones that do the ministry. And we expect them to do the ministry. In fact, it's easier when they do the ministry because then we don't have to. We can pay them to do it and we can put the expectation and the pressure on them to do it. God gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip the saints to do the work of ministry. (laughs) Subtle difference, but a big one. You are inherently supernatural. If the Spirit of God lives in you and someone needs healing, you pray, not me. 
Don't come and ask me to pray because I don't have any more of an insight into God than you do. And we've got to undo that so that we empower people to walk in the fullness of what God has for them. So if I've got my right identity, if I'm not trying to earn my way to God, if I know I'm a son of the Most High God, if I know God's favour is upon me, if I know God loves me, then I can hear His voice all the time singing over me, Mark, I love you. You're my son. And John said it today, God just gets disappointed when I don't come. That's when I miss out, but that's the choice. But God loves me. He favours me. He blesses me. I'm his child, just like I love and adopted Matthew into my life and I love him as much as I do my other kids. That's the love God has for us. And if we can just live in that identity, then we have intimacy, which is what God wants with us. And then if I have intimacy with God, I'm well aware of my inheritance. I know what's mine and I live in the fullness of that inheritance and then I have an impact. (laughs) It's out of that surplus that I minister. It's out of the fullness of who I am in God that I can give away. But if I'm empty and I'm drained and I'm miserable and I'm flat and I need people to prop me up all the time and it's all about working hard for God, then I'm just a a sad sack. I'm not a good, I'm not a disciple of Jesus. I'm a disciple of the church. I better earn my way to God. We're disciples of Jesus Christ. So we've got to get our identity right. And, and I believe that until we do that right as a church, I mean church Australia-wide, we're still going to pump out the wrong sort of disciples. You are what you eat. You ever seen a butcher make sausages? It's a pretty sad experience to know what goes into sausages. But what, what is in it is what you eat. And we've got to come back to instilling into people their value, not their failure. We're all failures, but that failure has been dealt with at Calvary. For once for all, God qualified us. And we've got to stand up and we've got to stand strong in the spirit and we've got to believe who we are. It's not about what I do, it's about believing the right things. And I want to encourage you today to walk out that door with your head held high, that the Son of God gave his life for you, to give you life and fullness of life. Make sense? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the privilege that is ours to walk with you. Whether we're a mum with kids, whether we're, you know, a CEO of a company, whether we're a painter, whether we're a fence builder, it really doesn't matter what we do, it's who we are. That's the critical thing. And Lord, I believe that you're going to continue to bring chaos into our life and all sorts of things until we work that out. Because you want to shape us and mould us and refine us until our identity is right. And Lord, I pray that you would help us as a people to truly have that revelation that you spoke about in Scripture. Lord, you wanted us to grasp how wide and how deep is the love of God, and to know this love that surpasses human knowledge. Lord, I praise you that you made a way for us to encounter you, to experience you. That's not just about sitting and looking at words on a paper. It's not about just sitting in a room of people, but it's about encountering the spirit of the living God in our lives.
For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That's our identity. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you and I, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Lord, there's only one way to know you, and that's to encounter you. Because we can't get to that identity just through learning in books. It's a higher thing than human knowledge. It goes beyond it. It surpasses knowledge. It's the manifest presence of the living God in our lives that changes our heart, changes our minds, changes our identity. And then we grasp this love that God has for us. How wide it is, how deep it is, how long it is, how endless and eternal is your love for us. Father, I pray today that right across this nation, you would raise up men and women of God whose identity is all about their sonship and about their adoption into the kingdom and about who they are in you and what's possible for a God of your magnitude and your majesty. Father, we wouldn't hide in the shadows, that we wouldn't be an insignificant church on the corner, but we would be a powerhouse of people that truly know who we are in God and that we would know this love and that we would know this power that is ours. And we begin to stand on the enemy's head instead of letting him rule and reign over our nation. We need to rise up. And I pray, Lord, that you would empower us to do that that we would receive from you today, Lord, a reminder of the value that you've instilled into us because your presence is with us and your power is upon us. And there is a call upon our lives to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and to make disciples and to baptise them. Father, raise up an army of people with a passion to take that good news of Jesus Christ, to advance the kingdom, to be kingdom-minded believers who are not insufficient and not inadequate and not lacking, but understand that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Father, change our thinking to be on the other side of normal, to be thinking about what you've given us, not what we're lacking. And may we walk in that fullness, Lord God. Stop making excuses. Stop trying to strive. Stop trying to work our way to acceptance with you. You do accept us. We are accepted in the beloved. We are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the family of God. And no demon, nothing can ever strip that away from us. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And he has qualified us to walk in the fullness of what God has for us. He has qualified us through those nail scars and the shedding of his blood. And we thank you, Father, for that sacrifice of your son. And we thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to suffer and die and pay that ultimate price. And we thank you, God, that you sent your spirit, the sweet spirit of the living God, so that every man, woman and child that would have the humility to give their life to you 
would experience the fullness of God in their life, to walk in power, to walk in the presence of the Most High God. Lord, this is a great day to celebrate, just like every other day, because we are heirs of the King of Kings, heirs of the Kingdom of God, and we have it all in front of us, and we are so blessed, and we are so rich, and we have so much to do, but we do it because of who we are. We are your sons and daughters. So, Father, brand that into us. Burn it into us, Lord God, that we are so valuable to you and you have given us so much so that we can give our lives away to those who are so needy. So, Lord, change our hearts. Make us more like you. Mould us and shape us to be just like Jesus. And then we'll be the disciple that you want us to be. So, Lord, would you bless everyone here today. May they walk out of this building today with a sense of renewed purpose, of renewed passion. That Father, you've called them for great things. You've ordained them to have a great impact in this nation and the nations beyond. That, Lord, if we could just believe the right things, we would truly see heaven come to earth. And Lord, we want that as a church. We want to be a catalyst for heaven. We want to be a gateway for heaven. Lord, I, I love that show Stargate. The Lord, that's what I want to be. I want this church to be a place that where your presence just comes and changes everything. We want to be a vessel for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So Father, we recommit ourselves to you today and we ask for you to move mightily in Jesus' name. Amen.